Um, in 2008, we came back and three, did three IUIs and they all failed. Um, so we took 2009 off to just travel and drink and pout. And then in 2010, we came back and did three more IUIs. Um, two failed and one was successful. And I carried her to 15 weeks before my water broke. Um, oh. So, yeah, so we did another stillbirth on that. And, um, and again, in the midst of everybody else in our family having babies, right? Everybody is like people at church who aren't on Facebook. Because at this time, I was really open with everything. Because I, again, didn't have the luxury of private grief. I didn't have first trimester miscarriages. Everybody knew. And I just embraced that. I was like, you know what? This is my soapbox. There are enough people who don't talk about it for whatever reason. Either they don't get to, or it makes people uncomfortable, or they're not quite sure how to talk about it. This can be my soapbox. Welcome to Authentic Conversations. I'm your host, Ryan James Miller, and I believe the way to freedom, fulfillment, and success ultimately comes by living as the most authentic version of yourself. If you're ready to live the life you've dreamed of, you're in the right place. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am here with Rachel Fox. Uh, Rachel and I were connected as I am connected to so many people uh, through LinkedIn. Uh, We share some common space in the healthcare, health insurance, employee benefits world is how we kind of collided. And through a conversation, I think actually through something I posted, Rachel had made a comment uh, just talking about the fact that she had quite the journey, quite the story, had endured uh, quite a lot herself. And uh, as I read through a little bit of her bio, I could only imagine how much more powerful uh, the rest of what she was about to say was. Um, you know, One of the things that she talks about, and I'm sure she's going to get into today, and this will resonate with probably uh, more, a lot women uh, than it will men, but I'm sure if you were on the other side of this, you would as well. Uh, but she's a mom to three. All three of those children, it sounds like, came by way of IVF, which is a journey in and of itself. All three were born premature, uh, just a- another journey on top of that. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot more to her, to her, a lot more that we'll talk about today. But for now, Rachel, thank you for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Thank you so much. I should also let everybody know, I don't say this enough, but I do intentionally uh, or I allow guests intentionally to prepare as little as humanly possible. And Rachel said something to me right before this, right? You're like, uh, you really didn't give me much to go off of here. <laughs> I'm, I'm inherently a winger though. So I feel like I'm okay with that. Like, it's fine. And you're talking about yourself, right? I mean, when we talk about ourselves, it should be pretty easy to talk about ourselves. If we have to prepare too much, there's something scary about to happen there. Yeah. Don't ask me dates or anything because I'm old enough where I have to do the subtraction, and carry the one and all. But um, yeah, overall, I, I kind of know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Okay. So um, there, there is probably a lot to talk about. Obviously, you know, in kind of the context of this podcast, this season of my podcast, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot is just this idea, a reality that in one way or another, every single one of us is inflicted with some sort of wound, multiple wounds. Sometimes those are self-inflicted. Other times those are others inflicted. Uh, and in your case, it was really just an outside circumstance that really uh, affected you in a very serious way. So I, I would be interested to hear, so at, at, how old were you when you 
started making attempts. I would have to get too much detail, but it, when you started making <laughs> attempts to get pregnant. Um, well, I got married when I was 26 okay. and just from some previous, um, health things that had happened in the past, they had always kind of said, it's going to be really hard for you to get pregnant. We're not sure if you'll be able to have kids. So we weren't like not, not trying. Um, mm. so I got married in 2003 and, um, yeah, it didn't take long. And then I was pregnant all of a sudden and I was like, wow, I didn't, that, that was, uh, unexpected. That was sooner than expected. Um, but we were happy about it. We were excited and we had just gotten our own place and you know how it is starting out like uncon, you know, you can just go and conquer everything and you're unstoppable and this is fantastic. Um, so yeah, everything was looking really good and I made it to 19 weeks when my water broke and, um, like that's not supposed to happen, right? You're supposed to have this magical, after you get past the magical number 13, everything's fine. Like everything's mm. fine after that, right? Like don't tell anybody before 13. And after that you can tell people because it's okay. So with us, that kind of blindsided us. Um, most of my other sister-in-laws were pregnant and we had talked about like, oh, we'll all have cousins the same age and we can exchange maternity clothes and all the fun things. So um, as their due dates approached, I told my husband, I was like, I, I can't be here. Like, I'm, I can't be here. I'm not, I'm not able to be happy for them. I'm not going to knit them some booties. I'm not going to bake them a casserole. Like, I'm not that person right now. We just need yeah. to go. And we just bought a one-way plane ticket to Rome. We just like headed out. Wow. And we were like, I don't know what we're going to do or how long we're going to be here. Um, luckily I was a 1099 for Aflac. And so I could just kind of do that. Um, and then he worked for the federal government. So he has lots of leave. So we could just meander as we needed to, cause I needed to escape. Um, and then, you know, a couple weeks later we wound up in Amsterdam and we were like, we need to go home <laughs> and, um, we're, we can't stay here. And so we went home and then it was like, okay, now I'm on a phone. Now I'm on a mission, right? Cause now I have to replace what was lost. Like I had a plan. God's clearly not listening to that plan. It was a fabulous plan. I don't know what he's doing here, uh, but he's clearly made a mistake. So, um, I'm going to like get with the program and do everything I can. Um, and for the next two years, we really did everything we could to try to get pregnant. I was taking my temperature every morning. I was doing Clomid. I had seen my OB, like we were doing all the things and I'm surrounded by baby makers, right? In this family of baby makers, some popping them out two at a time. And it, it was like a huge, um, rift in our, my family. I lost friendships over it because again, of my ability, inability to be happy for other people. Um, I was so self-centered on that. I was so stricken with my grief and look at what's happening to me and how can you be going and having a happy life? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, after, I guess I, I it was like 2007 at that point, I kind of just took a year off after those two years. Cause everybody's like, Oh, just stop trying. That's when it happens. And I was like, and in the meantime, everybody's super helpful, you know, like giving me their aunt Betty's cookie recipe. Cause magical uh, things happen with that. And why don't you take Geritol and do all of these things as if like I had some control over it. So let, so let me ask you right there. So, yeah. uh, because there, there's a lot that happened. I'm sure a lot that was experiencing. So some of the common things that I think uh, come into play. So first of all, like what did this do to your marriage? Because you are new, you get married, boom, you get pregnant, total surprise. It's like, oh my gosh, we're so amazing together. Look at the doctor said no. And yeah. we did it anyway. We weren't even really right. trying for it. That's taken away from you. And you, 
escape to, to Europe. I'm sure that was both hard, but then also kind of like freeing in a sense, we're going to get away, we're going to do this. But then you have to come back to reality and you have to start really working at something that um, we don't think we have to work a lot at. And so what did that do to your marriage, your relationship during that time? Yeah, I think times like this lets you in really more deeply into who you married, right? Mm. And I think that it's really important to take people for who they are and see them for who they are and not expect them to become somebody else. Mm. So um, my husband is amazing at a lot of things. He's my best friend. He is the greatest mate for me. Um, But he kind of has the emotional capacity of a wasp. Like, it's just one of those things where he was just like, are you, are you, are you better now? You done? You ready? Like, can we go to, can we go out of the house? Yeah. You, y'all ready? Y'all ready? And I was like, no, this is not something I like. I, I need to sit in my grief and be angry for a long time. Stop trying to pull me out into the sunshine. I don't want to go there. Um, and it was really like, I had to kind of lean on other people and find other sources, which is fine. Cause that's why we have more than one person in our life. Right. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to make, be resentful that he wasn't like a super emotional person. I knew he wasn't a super emotional person when I married him, you know, and I think that opposites attract and I think he's always been my rock and iron sharpens iron and all that. So I think that his strength is something that attracted me to him, but he was not going to be this guy who just coddled me and said, there, there, take all the time you need. He was constantly like, you have to be bigger than this. You have to be bigger than this. Like this is controlling you. It's eating our life. Um, and it was good that I was with somebody like that because it would have been really easy for me to get stuck. You know, it would have yeah. been really easy for me to just wallow. It, well, and, and I think that like, that, that's great to hear you say that. And, and, and yet at the same time, I'm sure that, you know, in the weeds uh, of it at times, it still had to be challenging, right? Because it's like you, you, it was great to hear you had this expectation, this understanding of who you marry going into it. There's good in that because it, it really is counterbalancing just how deep you are yeah. in it. But at the same time, I'm sure it's also, you know, you, you would have loved at times for him to just, and I'm, I'm sure he wasn't just like cold as ice all the time, but I'm sure that there was times when you were like, no, I just want you to like actually cry with me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there were lots of those times when he was like, well, you know me and I'm not going to do that. So what else would you like to do? I can make you a sandwich. You like a sandwich? So he's like, I can support you in the ways that I am able to support you. But yeah. if you want somebody to cry with, like, that's just not who I am. So I have other people in my life, my sister-in-law, and there were people that I could lean on who mm. uh, were very accommodating in that regard. Because again, I did not want to build up a wall of resentment because you weren't this and you weren't this and you weren't this. It's like, well, clearly I wasn't what he expected either. Like I, like he thought that I'd be able, a working woman. Right. And now I was feeling defective on top of it all. So of course I'm getting super defensive about anything that he says. So I think he wasn't really trying to like, I think he was just trying to keep his distance and be like, you just work that out, you know, which was yeah. fine, which was what I needed. Cause I didn't want somebody kind of pushing me too much. And he just took a step back, which was great. And, um, but as we came back and I was like, okay, I'm ready to like try again. Like I want to like do this. Cause I felt at this point I needed to conquer it. Right. Like I'm not somebody that's used to failure in the sense that like, I'm just going to stay down and be like, oh, well that didn't work. We're done with that. Like I was like, nope, I'm trying again. Let's do this again. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, trying in 2005, 2006, we kind of took 2007 off to just travel and drink and pout because I felt like we just need to take breaks sometimes. Um, in 2008, we came back and three, did three IUIs and they all failed. Um, so we took 2009 off to just travel and drink it out. 
And then in 2010, we came back and did three more IUIs. Um, two failed and one was successful. And I carried her to 15 weeks before my water broke. Um, oh. So, yeah. So we did another stillbirth on that. And, um, and again, in the midst of everybody else in our family having babies, right? Everybody is like people at church who aren't on Facebook. Because at this time, I was really open with everything. Because I, again, didn't have the luxury of private grief. I didn't have first trimester miscarriages. Everybody knew. And I just embraced that. I was like, you know what? This is my soapbox. There are enough people who don't talk about it for whatever reason. Either they don't get to, or it makes people uncomfortable, or they're not quite sure how to talk about it. This can be my soapbox. And I was putting my pregnancy tests on Facebook as soon as they were ready. I mean, I was open with everything because my biggest fear was somebody not knowing and coming up to me and going, oh, how's your pregnancy going? Hmm. And I didn't want to have to answer that question all the time. So I was putting everything on Facebook so that you know. So if you come up to me, like, you better be in the know of what's happening before you ask any questions because I don't want to yeah. rehash it every time I see somebody. Um, so, yeah, then we took 2011 off and I came back in 2012 and they were like, yeah, we've pumped you full of a whole bunch of stuff. You just need to do IVF now. Um, and so we did IVF in uh, 2012 and we transferred one fresh and I carried her to 28 weeks before my water broke. And then oh uh, she was born at 29. So it was good. She was three pounds and she was perfect. Okay. So uh, maybe my last question before we then step into now you're starting to feel at least some sense of joy in the fact that you get to see a baby yeah. live. Um, yeah. Did you feel like at, you know, you said that, you know, you were putting yourself out there, you were carrying the torch. Did that ever become a burden in and of itself because you were so out there, you felt this responsibility to share your story that it was like, I, I don't know, like you, you were carrying other people's burden in trying to share your own. No, I felt like it was something that actually really empowered me. So you know how women, when we want to um, like vent about something, it's really like, I just want to talk and I don't really want you to suggest any solutions. I just want to talk. So this became my way to talk about it because, you know, I'm married to somebody who doesn't really want to talk about it a whole lot. <laughs> so um, the world will talk to me if my husband won't, damn it. <laughs> that's right. It's just like LinkedIn now. I'm like, like trying to get all these followers and he's like, keep me off the grid. So um, we're just complete opposites and it's fine. So there, you know, there were times I felt like it was really great that I had this platform and I had women that came to me. I hadn't talked to in decades, the means, and they were like, you're talking about this. And I just went through this and I don't know what to do. And my husband is awkward with it. And no, none of my friends want to talk to me about it because they're already pregnant. And like, it's weird. And, and I know you've been through it so, and I need to be talked to. So I'm just going to talk to you. And is it weird that we haven't talked in a decade? Cause I just want to talk. And it was great that those things happened because it gave me a sense of feeling useful and a purpose and needed. And that I was making a difference and I was helping in some way. Cause you feel so helpless in this situation, right? You feel like you're doing all these things to try to make it happen. But ultimately it's not really your call when this happens at all. You just have this yeah. feeling like you need to be doing. So yeah. for me, that was the doing. And then you, so you, you finally get the joy of, uh, being able to deliver the baby and yeah. uh, this is your first child, uh, son or daughter. This girl. Yep. Okay. So uh, this, this first daughter and yep. so you deliver, but you deliver premature. So she, mm. y you like get the joy. And at the same time, it's like, but no, here's another trial. Yeah. Yeah. She was born at three pounds. There was like 20 people in the delivery room because they were, 
NICU nurses there, NICU doctors there, neonatologists there. There was like all my doctors that I needed, you know, we had just signed all the forms with the hospital um, about health expectations of a 29-week-old baby being born, um, lifelong complications that we should anticipate. Um, and like the timing was good in that we had time to like do beta methadone injections so that that helps the lung maturation so that the infant's much more likely to be able to breathe on their own. And at that point, breathing is really your biggest focus. You just want lungs to be working and you just yeah. want them to have enough oxygen. So um, there was a, there was five days between my, when my water broke and when um, when my weight count got so high that they were like, we just need to take her. Wow. And so do you feel like you were that there was more joy in the fact that you had this child or that you were still in the sense of like, God, what are you doing? Like I've already been through horrible, horrible tragedy twice. Why don't I just have a healthy baby day one? Yeah, no, I was ready for that. I was like, this is what you're going to give me. Okay. This is better than the last thing like this. I can do. Wow. And, and I felt really, um, again, cause once you hold that child, everything changes and all of a sudden this is what we're fighting for and this is where we are. And, and I finally felt like I had been given something. And so no matter how hard it was, I wasn't going to complain at that point. I had been angry at God for a long time. I had been pouting for a really long time. I had been temper tantrum my way through a decade for a really long time. So the fact that I had this, again, I wanted to be useful. I had plenty of time on bed rest to become a student of parenting. So I was a know-it-all. Um, <laughs> I knew all the things. And then she ended up being a really like chill baby. Like she was easy to feed, easy to sleep, easy to discipline, like very calm, happy. And I was like, why do people talk about this parenting thing is hard. I'm super great at this. This is amazing. Um, and so again, it was like, see God, I should have done this all along. Like, cause I would get so mad when I'd go to target and I can't reproduce, but I see all these people yelling at their kids, dragging them out by the ears. I'm like, Oh, this is fabulous. Thank you. And then it just turns you into a mean human, you know, you're judging other people. And it's like, and now having been a parent for a long time, I've had those days where I've been that mom in Target, you know, but you don't have that perspective at that point. You're just all judgy and bitter because you're salty and angry. So yeah. I was just happy that I had some joy and I wasn't a miserable person anymore because I was in a really, I was not one of those people that was making lemonade out of lemons. Like I did yeah. not handle it with poison grace. I lost my ability to be happy for people. I was miserable. You did not want to be around me. So Rachel, I hear a lot of like you, you being super honest with yourself and obviously just with everybody that you talk to about <laughs> the fact that, you know, you didn't handle this well, I guess is, you no, know, like how to sum not. that up yes. at the same time though, uh, because I think there's a lot of people that, it, because I think we go to two extremes, right? I think that, you know, we, we swing to one side, which is maybe what you experienced, which was you were frustrated, you were angry, you were pouting, you were, you know, like it, it was all like, it was so much negative and rightfully so. The other side though is everything's okay. Don't worry about it. Especially like, you know, we talk about and have referenced God in this, like, especially like as a Christian, a lot of times people are like, you know, oh, I just did, this is God's plan for my life. Everything's going to be okay. It's almost like emotionless as though it's just, you know, God works in all things out for my good. And like, it's just going to work itself out. So 
there's people sitting on both sides of that. Like, do you feel like there is a happy medium? I don't know if happy is even the right word. Is there, is there a middle somewhere as somebody listens, because whether it's enduring the frustrations, hurt and agony of not being able to get pregnant or losing children, or it could be a completely different type of, you know, hurt or tragedy. Like, do you feel like there's wisdom somewhere in the middle where people can wallow in their sadness and hurt and even be angry and at the same time find peace and understanding in what's going on? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to allow people to grieve and be angry. I think that we want them to feel better. So we're trying to like, hey, you want to go do that? We just want you to feel better. We just want you to smile. We just want you to do something. But people aren't ready for that. It's part of the process that you have to go through. You know, like, like I love that verse in Isaiah where it says, I've refined you in the furnace of affliction. Like this is huge and I can't become what I'm supposed to be unless I go through this. So stop rushing me through it and telling me to just shake it off. Like I, I have to be here. I have to be present. And for me, um, you know, again, once Brinley was born, it really changed everything because during that previous decade, I was so self-focused and so looking inward that you just end up spiraling downward. Mm. And there's like, once you have something else to put your attention towards, then all of a sudden the sun's out again. Um, and I think for me, like when I'm feeling invisible and broken and insignificant and, 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 and all of these terrible things, the best way to fix that, in in my opinion, was to do something for somebody else that made a difference. The more I focused on me, the more upset I was and the more disappointed I became and the more depressed I became about things. But the more I took that energy and focused it on other people, then I felt useful. Then I felt needed. I felt impactful. I felt like I was making a difference. And all of a sudden, things had days had meaning, right? Like whether I got out of bed or not had significance to someone else. And yeah. like as a mom, that's super important, right? Like Brinley was born in 2012. Um, as soon as she was a year old, we went back for another frosty and I carried her to 30 weeks, 30, 31 weeks. And um, she was born at 31 weeks and then she was, she was fine. And then as soon as Annie turned a year old, we went back and got another frosty. And then, you know, that's when Lincoln was born. And that was crazy because we, we just don't make boys in this family. Like, of all of these pregnancies, they had all been girls. My husband has an identical twin that has six girls. I was like, I just don't think they make any wise sperm. Um, but he like came a lot. If he was our first, he might've been our only, he is a different situation than the girls. And yeah. And then when he was a year old, we went back for the last frosty cause we had four embryos and I was like, Hey, so, uh, uh, I had to buy a minivan and I'm out of bedrooms. And you said this wasn't going to happen cause I was three for three, which in my age group was amazing. Yeah. Um, and I jinxed myself because the last one didn't take, but still Mm. like just having that experience. And again, having my happily ever after finally, after being angry at God for so long and telling him that his plan was wrong and telling him that my plan was better. Like if I had had that child, I wouldn't have these children now, you know, Mm. and there's all these things you start thinking about. And ultimately you just can't see behind the curtain all the time. All you can see is what's revealed to you. And it's really not up to you of when things are going to happen. And I thought about that. Um, There's like something in the first chapter of James. It's like a man's anger does not bring the righteous life that God desires, something like that. And when I had sat with that for a long time, I was like, what am I doing being salty and angry all the time? Like, what is this 
what is this accomplishing? Right. Like I'm, I'm having a pity party and I'm mad at God and I'm just protesting. I'm under protest. Like that's my grievances have been aired. That's really acknowledged. But what, what am I trying to gain? And once I had all of those things, I just really was able to let it go and heal from that point on. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing too. I mean, like even retracing back to when <clears throat> you were talking about before uh, before you had your first child um, and you said that you were finding yourself so useful in being able to help other people through their story. And I think that's so amazing because had those two really horrific experiences not happened to you, you wouldn't, like, you were vocal, you were open, you were sharing your journey. Like, that's not everybody's story, and understandably, but God created you that way, and so in doing so, there was this sense of, there had to be, I will say, I guess, this sense of worth and value, because as a woman, and I understand this completely, so much uh, uh of, of like how you see yourself is in your ability to have children and to be a mom. And, uh, and again, there, there's good and bad in that, but it was like, I, 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 I'm not having children, so I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy. I'm not valuable. And all of a sudden, at least for a season, God kind of redirected that and was giving you so much worth and giving you so much value through all of these people that you were interacting with. And so I think that that, you know, Thankfully, the story didn't end there, but even had the story ended there, it may have been harder for you to deal with. But man, just what a beautiful picture of God using you in a completely different way to, to demonstrate that worth and value he's in, you know, put into you. Yeah, I think also for me during that time, I needed a whole lot of affirmation and praise and I needed a whole lot of pat on the backs and there there's. Um, and so, yeah, like thrusting myself into my job in the insurance industry was really nice because they're good at that, right? Like there were three or four incentive trips a year that my husband and I were going to go on. Um, and you know, Eric Silverman was my manager at the time. And there were days where I was just like, I don't feel like dealing with life today. And I just need you to do some things with that. And he always had my back on things. Um, and, but I thrust myself into Aflac and I, I was like the number three recruiter in the country. Um, and Eric was a really high recruiting region as everybody knows. And so I just, I was coachable and I just did whatever he told me to do. Um, but it was, that was what I needed. I needed all of those awards and the stupid trips and the stupid trophies and all of those things that my husband thinks is utterly ridiculous. Like I needed those things as validation yeah. that like I'm worthy and I was doing something good. And just cause I couldn't do this doesn't mean that I can't do something really great. So there were, there were lots of things in my life where I was just trying to find a way to keep going because I couldn't sit. I just didn't want to get stuck. I knew that that would have been really bad. Yeah. So I have a couple more questions, but I think one that comes to mind for me right now. So as you think right now about like how that has shaped your ability just to go live life, I mean, you would hope and pray that that was those were the two worst experiences of your life that you will never experience a tragedy any greater. You pray that's the case. We don't know, but you know, we're hopeful, but like having gone through that, like how has that shaped then how you just operate on the day to day now? Yeah, I think that, and again, I think about this when I hear about struggles that people are having because it's, we're, no one is immune, right? Everybody is going to have challenges in life. 
Um, you know, we're all going to like, life's not fair. We're all going to have failures. We're all going to have bad things happen. I used to kind of have those mentalities of like Joe's friends, like where it was like, well, you must've done something to incur mm. this. You must have done something to deserve this, right? Like if you do bad, bad things come into your life. If you do good, good things come in your life. Um, but of course that's not how God works. And it just took a while for me to just understand that the processing of the situations is more important. You know, like Joe, ne- Joe never got a why. Right. And so often we're like in our like just angry and asking why it doesn't matter. It's what you're going to do with it. It's what you're about. It's what your next step is that matters. Mm. The why doesn't really matter. It's who you become. It's what you do. It's the things that you're remembered for. It's how you rise above this that matters. Um, Mm. It's not the thing. It's the thing after the thing. Okay. So now here you are, I don't know, 20 years, right? 15 years removed from that. Yeah. 20 years mm-hmm. almost from, yeah. from the first one. And um, so what what is the thing beyond the thing now? So the thing beyond the thing now is like really just being the best that I can be in, in the things that I'm putting my life towards, right? So um, I'm super excited and passionate about this startup that I work for. I think anybody working for a startup or as an entrepreneur or for a nonprofit, it's all the same kind of like you live and, and breathe by this. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, this would be a good post. We got to do this. Um, and I'm starting <laughs> to think about things like this. Go back to bed. Go back to bed. <laughs> I know. But it's it's really like what you live and breathe for. And it really matters. Like I really wanted to do something where it mattered if I was good, if, if I was contributing, if I showed up 100% fully or if I was just dogging it. Um, and this is something where it really matters and I really believe in it. So that's huge. With my kids, like during the pandemic, uh, they really didn't dig all day computer school. So I had stopped to homeschool them for, for a while. And that was really important to me to just be able to have the freedom and flexibility to do that. Um, and now we have them in like this, this great Christian school, which I love. And that's just been a huge priority for me because I just feel like they should learn how to write cursive and read an analog clock and carry the one and count money back, you know, change back without a calculator, like just simple things that a lot of kids can't do anymore. I was like, I feel yeah. like these are priorities. Yeah. Um, and then I, t- I coach their sports. So that's been a huge thing for me, just being able to volunteer in the community. And, and um, you know, I coach my girls sports and my husband coaches my son's sport. And it's really nice for us to get to know their friends and the families in the community. So we have that flexibility and that like priority in our lives that like we're going to do these things. We're going to be the family that coaches. We're going to be the family that goes to church. We're going to be the family that, you know, does all the things. But mm. there was a long time where I didn't think that we would have any of it. So it's really important that we give ourselves as much as we can and not waste the opportunities we've been given. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, it's a huge part of, you know, uh, of the lesson. I think on the other side of anything awful is realizing that, you know, life is so precious and we need to make the most of, you know, the life that we have. So I think that that's incredible. So an interesting question, maybe, uh, at least when, when, when I ask it, people cringe, um, but, um, would you say that you are thankful for what you went through? For sure. Yeah. Like it's, it's really hard for me to say that now because I was really, really mad for a long time and I swore out of my pride. I was never going to say that. Right. Cause that would be admitting defeat. That would be admitting that God was right. And I was convinced convinced my path was better. And I still don't really, again, I didn't have to know why I don't get to know why I don't get to know why I have these three kids and not those two kids. I don't really know, 
but it's all part of God's plan. And I think it changed other people's lives along the way as I kind of did use this for my soapbox and they were able to reach out and I was, you know, a lifesaver in some capacity for people who really felt like they didn't have other people to talk to. Um, because a lot of women, like I understand it's a personal issue. A lot of women don't want to talk about it. Um, but it makes people who go through it feel alone and isolated and like, there's something wrong with me because why is this happening to me? They don't realize that it happens to everybody. Um, so I was happy to be on the soapbox about that because I felt like nobody else was, and I wasn't sure why. And my husband was like, it just makes people uncomfortable to talk about it. Stop talking about it. Um, (laughs) but I think some people want to talk about it. Like you don't have to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it because that's what I do. I'm going to say the talk. Um, So, and I just think there's no sense in covering it up. I thought that this was my life. This was the identity of my life. It was the struggle of my life for a decade, Mm. but every season of life brings new struggles. Like I bought my childhood house for my parents. And so they lived in the house still. So I'm solidly in the sandwich generation. Um, And my dad um, just passed away in January of last year, but the months leading up to his death were really difficult because um, you know, he wanted to stay here in the house and then my mom felt obligated to take care of him, but then she wasn't getting any sleep. So I'm trying to take care of her. And it's like having a newborn in the house again, where I hear the door click at two o'clock in the morning. And, you know, he's wandering down the road, um, in his pajamas cause he's going to go over to the, to the army base. So it's like uh, so many things I was, j- and with her just watching the disillusion of this man that she had spent her life with into becoming this completely different person. Like she had to just realize the man she had married was gone. And now she was left with this angry man child who doesn't know where his pajamas are and just wants to eat ice cream, you know? Um, and so it was really difficult to kind of, it doesn't, it's not like, Oh, I've arrived in life and that mountain is, is hurdled. And now I can, it's smooth sailing. Like yeah. your whole life, your whole life. If you think things are going well now, put your seatbelt on, man, because something's going to happen and and just be ready for it. And don't cry yourself a river. Like it's inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us to be ready. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. Because you brought it up so many times, I guess my, my final question is, <clears throat> do you feel like you could have done this apart from having faith in God? No, I mean, like I, like I said, I really did struggle with my faith during that dark decade. I really was angry at God. I really did everything I could to just make him mad. And that equals just a lot of self-destructive behavior that hurts a lot of other people too. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a great plan. Um, (laughs) but when you come back to it, you just realize, I think it just makes us better parents, like all these things, you know, the smarter, the, the older you get, the smarter your parents become, right? That whole thing where you yeah. realize, oh, everybody has been through stuff. And everybody's life who seems like it's perfect isn't perfect because it is perfect. It's perfect just because they put some polish on, on it. But it's it's really underneath, probably sticky and yucky the way other, the rest of us are. Yeah. Um, so people get good at hiding things and covering it up and making it look pretty. But everybody has some things happening. And sometimes the people who look even more perfect are doing that to overcompensate for a lot of other things happening. So you just never know what people's lives are. We live in this society where everything is just a facade society and everything is what we want you to believe it is. Um, But you know, that's why it's important. I think with, with business and, and the LinkedIn stuff and like everything else, it's so important to know who you're working with and try to get mm-hmm. to know people on a people basis. Like, who are you? Like, what are you all about? What makes you, t- because you could work with anybody, right? Why do you want to work with me? Why do you want to work with Ryan? Why do you want to work with any of these people? What makes us different than anybody else? 
And yeah. I don't want to put, I mean, yeah, I'm going to like maybe put a filter on a picture here and there. Like I'm going to have the facade, but at the same time, <laughs> I really want to be authentic and, and what you're getting, what you're getting, like what you see is what you get. I think you can tell from my demeanor, like I, I'm just not going to sugarcoat stuff a whole lot. Yeah. Um, and those are the kind of people that I like to work with. Cause I know they're going to call it like it. Is. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, and I think that, you know, that's how. I believe we find the greatest amount of success in life. And that's not always monetary, but in many ways it leads that way. It's just when we align with other people similar to us that want to be themselves, that want to put themselves out there, that want to connect on that level, we just forge such deeper friendships. And and when we when we are on that foundation, it allows us to help each other in a much greater way, you know, in that professional capacity, in the personal capacity. And, and that's what we're all after is just trying to build the best relationships we can to be as successful as we can, whether it's in business or life or anything else. So I just, I, I see so much value in that. Yeah. And I think it's just important to remind people that we're, we're human. Like we live in a kind of remote world and there are a lot of people who don't like stand, like you're not pokeable next to the person next to you anymore. Um, and I think it's really important to just, I, I think that makes us need the, the need for us to share a little bit more is even greater to reveal a little bit more about who we are because we're not just a face in the, in the Brady box box, you know, like the Brady bunch thing. I just think it's, really important for us to let people in a little bit because it's harder. I think we're less accessible physically now. So we have to be more accessible emotionally. No, that's, that's, that's a good word to finish on. I mean, thank you for letting us in. I mean, I know, you know, at this point, it's probably a lot easier, you know, for, for you to talk about it as you've learned, as you've grown. But still, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it causes you to have to continue to be vulnerable, to continue to act in, in such a way, regardless of whether it was talking about your past or talking about your future or, or, or present. And, and so I just, I appreciate that in you and I know other people will too. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate. Thank you for letting me share my story. You never know who's going to get encouragement from it. So I never want to stop telling it. Um, and it, sometimes I need to hear it myself, too, because I felt like I was such a dark person for a long time. It's really this puts wind in my sails to just be the best I can be in every facet. Everything that I touch, I want to show up for and, and be the best that I can be, because for a long time I was just on the bench. I wasn't at the game. Yeah. Well, then that's my challenge to everybody that's listening. So if you're listening to this episode or watching this episode on YouTube, uh, and now you've heard Rachel share her story, so she would love some affirmation for what a great job she did. She didn't even ask for it. I'm just saying, just find her. Uh, we'll make sure to put links to all of her contact information in the show notes. LinkedIn, I know, is is going to be one of those. And just shoot her a DM and just let her know. Just, I think that it's important. Again, no matter how long you've, you've been sharing this story, it's brave to be able to do that. It's encouraging to be able to do that. It's strengthening to be able to do that. And so, yeah. I, uh, I'm challenging y'all to let her know. So Rachel, again, thank you so much. It's been great. And uh, I know this won't be the last time we talk, but for now, this is the end of this conversation. <laughs> Thanks again. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of Authentic Conversations. As always, make sure you connect with Rachel, our guest. Let her know just how wonderful she is. If you have any questions, comments, concerns for me, you know where to find me. Thanks so much. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Authentic Conversations. If you are ready to live the life you've dreamed of, I'm here to help. 
head to ryanjamesmiller.com slash podcast to begin your journey. And if this episode impacted you in any way, pay it forward by sharing it with someone you know. I'm Ryan James Miller, and I'll see you next time on Authentic Conversations.